0: This is the Locked On Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a baseball writer as well as a minor league play by play broadcaster. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Marlins trade of Jordan Yamamoto. Initially, in the previous episode, I figured that they would not really be able to get anything for him. Ultimately, they are able to get a Dominican Summer League lottery ticket in Federico Polanco. From the Mets. So Yamamoto heading over to the Mets, who have seemingly been looking for starting pitching depth all offseason long. They continue to just add some swing men and in between type of starters or long relievers. And we'll see what they decide to do with Yamamoto. Ultimately, the price is not too steep for them, just giving up a Dominican Summer League player. But I will talk about him because for the Marlins, it's a bonus to get anything for Yamamoto here. And at the end of the day, you collect enough lottery tickets, maybe one of them will hit. going to compare him a little bit to Diawel Burgos and the difference between the two. I would say Burgos is further along. I'll get into that. And just the Marlins' second base situation in general. Kim Ang in a recent press conference talked about How Jazz Chisholm and Isan Diaz will likely be duking it out for the starting spot. And if neither seem to be performing, then it's probably John Birdie's spot to take over until somebody steps up. Which, at least in the regard of John Birdie, that's a very good insurance policy there. As I am a John Birdie fan, but you're obviously hoping it does not get to that with one of the two Jazz Chisholm, or Isan Diaz stepping up and putting it together this year. So I'm going to talk about those two guys whose job it is to lose and who I think might be the most likely to step up and put it together and how that whole situation can unfold. But let's start with Yamamoto and the deal to the Mets. So I talked plenty about Yamamoto in the last episode and why it was probably time for the Marlins to move on from him and hopefully he can put it together in another situation with another team. Now that it's a division rival, you're hoping for his sake he puts it together, but maybe just not against the Marlins. For Yamamoto, it's nice for him to end up somewhere where a team was willing to give up something for him, so at least they see some value in him and they're not just taking a flyer and picking him up, though I would say giving up a guy like Federico Polanco is somewhat of a flyer in itself. He's a 19-year-old about to turn 20 from the Dominican Republic, signed for over $300,000, so there is some prospect pedigree there while a lot of players sign for decent amounts and more than that in international free agency a majority of them sign for less so $300,000 is not chump change and he's somewhat of a legitimate prospect in that regard to the point where at least he was getting signed for a total more than $10,000 or fifteen dollars or $20,000 like a majority of these players from the Dominican sign for. The deal is very reminiscent of the Austin Dean for Diawill Burgos trade with the Cardinals, but I would say Burgos was a little bit more established in regards to Dominican Summer League guys and had a little bit more hype around him as a guy that can swing it for some more power. When we look at Polanco... Video is limited, but from the video I've seen, I do like his swing. I do see some tools there. I think it's a pretty advanced swing for a teenager that is yet to play above rookie ball, but there's a lot of moving parts there, not in regards to the swing, but just in regards to being able to scout this guy because we're not really getting a chance to see him against legitimate competition. He did struggle once he got to the GCL. Though it was only 41 plate appearances, but he did mash in the Dominican Summer League, but so do a lot of guys. But the stat line in the Dominican Summer League was really strong. He walked exactly as many times as he struck out, and in 186 plate appearances, he slashed 331, 414, 472. And that's pretty solid. There's not a lot of power there yet because he's 5'10", 155. I don't see too much room to fill out in that frame, but he's likely to be a second baseman. I'm not sure what kind of speed he has. I can't pretend to know those kinds of things. He does look like he has a quick, a quick body there. He's very twitchy. I can see that with the swing that I've seen. And it looks like he's got to be an above-average runner. If he's a good defender, then you know there's a higher floor there than some may think. I think for a left-handed stroke, it's not bad at all. I was pretty impressed by the swing. I was expecting it to be a little bit more raw. And I think that he's got a chance to be able to climb up here. But he is much further back in terms of progress and development than Daiwa Burgos, in my opinion. Burgos has had time now with the Marlins, too, in the last eight or nine months working with the team in the instructional league that they had just a few months ago and Moans have had time to look at him and he, he's looked really good from what I've heard and he's been a very pleasant surprise. I don't think the Moans are shocked because they did have some high hopes for Burgos when they were able to acquire him. There are some... Outlets, including fan graphs that are pretty bullish on Burgos and the raw power that he offers. I've heard that the power is definitely for real. The question with Burgos is: Is he going to be able to hit at the higher levels? When we look at Polanco, not as much power there. Burgos is a 220-pound guy, six foot one, but he's pretty maxed out at 20 years old. He's pretty full, like filled out. I don't think there's much more room to grow for Burgos while Polanco could easily put on another 15, 20 pounds and maybe be able to swing it for a little bit more power. We'll have to see, but Burgos much further along. I expect him to start the season in low A this coming year or even a ball eventually through the first month or two of the season. And that'll be a good opportunity to see what he can do. I think to get Polanco here though, for a guy that you are pretty much just cutting your losses with in Jordan Yamamoto, it's worth it for the Marlins and while you're not going to find much information on him, at least fan graphs marked him as a guy worth paying attention to in the Mets system. I think he had been previously ranked in the top 30 back in 2019 after he was picked up in international free agency in 2017. There was some, at least a little bit of hype around him to the point where the Fangraph's writers were keeping an eye on him and liked what they saw, and to be ranked 23rd in their top 30, not bad at all, just slipped outside of their top 30 now after the struggles in the GCL, even though it was only 41 plate appearances, but definitely a nice little pickup for essentially what was going to be a guy the Marlins were going to cut their ties with at this point anyways. So he will slot into the system. The Marlins continue to add some lottery tickets there. And at the end of the day, it's like signing an international free agent for free essentially and the marlins will take that any day of the week i'm going to get into the second base situation in just a moment here quick a reminder that this episode is brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag what a time it is to bet on sports there is so much going on right now as i always talk about it this is one of the busier times in In the sports world Especially as we get closer to baseball season as well But you got the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday College basketball is well underway We should have some form of March Madness Coming up in the next month or so Maybe it'll be April Madness Who knows how they're going to handle that I don't know if that's come out yet Regardless, there will be some exciting college basketball To bet on as well We've got the NBA, which is well underway NHL has started And you can even place your future bets For Major League Baseball And if you go on betonline.ag right now and you use the promo code locked on, one word locked on, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus to your initial deposit. So if you deposit $100, you get an extra $50 on top of that. That's the best offer any of our advertisers are giving to any of our listeners. Don't sit on the sideline anymore, get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. ...with your initial deposit, bet online. your online sportsbook experts, also brought to you by our friends at Built Bar, 18 delicious flavors, and you know what I'm going to say, they all taste like a dessert, what else would you want from a protein bar, other than the fact that they are low in fat, low in sugar, low in calories, low in carbs, high in protein... What else could you possibly want? And if you go to builtbar.com right now and use the promo code locked on, just like the same promo code for bet online, one word locked on, you will get 20% off your next order. And they have delicious flavors from mint chocolate chip to caramel brownie to peanut butter to everything you can imagine. They've got a flavor for it and they are all covered in chocolate, easy to chew, great for a keto diet. Go to builtbar.com, promo code locked on for 20% off. Your next order. So let's get back into it with this Marlins second base situation, which I find rather unique. Now, last year, I would say, does not have too much bearing on the situation in general in terms of where the Marlins may be leaning second base wise. I think it's a pretty much a clean slate going into this coming season, and it's going to be whoever performs is going to get that job. And it's that simple because neither really proved anything. In that 2020 season, and I wouldn't really hold any of the struggles against either of them in the 2020 season. Isan Diaz, of course, opted out and then opted back in and was not fully ready, I don't think, because he pulled his hammy pretty bad and then missed the rest of the season. Jazz Chisholm gets moved up, was mostly playing second base, played phenomenal defense, but struggled offensively, did hit a pair of home runs. But just 161, 242, 321 slash line. The swing and miss was a concern as well. 19 punch outs and 62 plate appearances. And that's going to be the concern with Jazz Chisholm. Swing and miss has always been the concern. And that's where we're going to have to see if he can put it together. I would say that Isan going into this season has more pressure on him and more to lose. Because at the end of the day, Jazz Chisholm, he was rushed to really play this past season he did not need to be up there just yet he had only played 112 games above high a ball and those were all in double a so never got a sniff of triple a and in those 112 games in double a he struggled he was powerful he hit 21 home runs in 112 games that's a lot but he also struck out a ton, 147 punch-outs in 458 plate appearances. When he came over to the Marlins, he was much better and much more consistent with the bat, cut the strikeout rate down by 8% to 25.5%, and the walk rate remained pretty consistent over 11%, but that was only in 94 plate appearances. So we need to see him do it on a larger scale. I think Jazz Chisholm at this point would not be... It wouldn't be bad for him to start the season in AAA and just find some consistency with the bat. Because right now, Isan Diaz already proved what he can do in AAA. There's nothing else for him to prove, and that's a good and bad thing. It's a good thing because, of course, he showed you what he's capable of, But it's also a bad thing because you can't really send him back down there and say okay he just needs to iron some things out he already showed what he can do it's just whether he can do it at the major league level I'm not comparing him to Lewis Brinson but just in the situation of Lewis Brinson he mashed all the way through the minor leagues there was nothing else he could possibly show down there or do down there to help him at the major league level it was just gonna have to click at the major league level I think Isan is nowhere near similar to Brinson when I look at his struggles personally it was mostly predicated on approach. He's a guy that has traditionally been comfortable going deep into counts and either working a walk or just being able to battle with two strikes and and get a hit. But when you look at the major league caliber of pitching, you just don't want to get deep into counts. That's not what you want to do because they make one good pitch after you take a strike. And just like that, it's 0-2. And that was Somewhat of the issue with Isan Diaz. It seemed like every at bat, he was just falling into two strike counts. And when you look at the statistics from 2019, 2020 was just too small of a sample size. But even the 2020 sample size somewhat echoes the same thing, even more so, honestly. He just doesn't swing. His zone swing percentage, meaning just the percentage of swing or swings that he takes at pitches in the zone, was 55.7%. That's more than 11% less than the MLB average. And Isan Diaz is a power hitter. This is somebody that should be running into 25, 30 home runs a year if things are going right for him. You want guys like that being more aggressive. That's not what you want to see out of him, is that passiveness, especially when there is a little bit of swing and miss in his game. It's not a huge, huge liability, but he definitely is going to be somebody that strikes out in the 20 to 25% range, maybe when he's going bad in the 30% range encroaching on there, and that's where you definitely don't want to be. That's the danger zone. But even if he's hovering in the low to mid-20s, that's above league average. You want those guys to be more aggressive earlier in the counts. I don't want somebody that has some swing and miss issues catching them themselves deeper into counts where you're one bad swing or one chase or one bad pitch call away from being rung up. I mean, he's got a great eye. He's very patient. And I'm not saying to just totally change the way you approach the game, but there just needs to be more urgency from him there because the zone contact numbers are there 84% zone contact. That's above league average, meaning that he's not swinging and missing at pitches in the strike zone. He doesn't chase as much as the average hitter either. So when I look at it, it's like, how does this guy strike out uh, at a decent amount compared to league average? It's really just because he's setting himself up for failure with pitchers counts just to start it off. You take a first pitch strike, you foul one off, and all of a sudden it's 0-2. And that's what it seems like the case was with Isan Diaz. For Jazz Chisholm, His issue is more chase-related and almost being overly aggressive. You'd almost wish that you could find a middle ground between the two. But for Isan, if he's a little bit more aggressive this season, I expect him to be able to put it together and, and be a very valuable piece at second base. If that's the case, then the Marlins will have a unique situation. Let's say Jazz is mashing in the minor leagues. Then all of a sudden... You got some stuff to figure out. How's Miggy Rowe doing? Where do you go from there? But that would be a great problem for the Marlins to have because then you could trade from your surplus there and figure out what you're going to do. But for the Marlins right now, I think Eson has to be the guy whose job it is to lose. There's a little bit less urgency around Jazz. I know he already got a sniff of the major leagues. I know that he probably feels like he's ready. I see him talking about it on Twitter, how he's Wants to be a 40-40 guy and be rookie of the year and all that stuff. That's really great. I don't think anybody has more confidence than Jazz Chisholm. Got nothing against that. But I would say he does need to iron out some issues with his swing and find a little bit more consistency with his pitch selection before I can really be gung-ho on him being the starting second baseman. Long term, I think Jazz can be a perennial all-star. I think he has it in him. He's a special talent. But for now, I think if the Marlins want that more high floor option that seems to be more major league ready, it's Isan Diaz. Some at-bats that I saw from him in 2020 when he came back, I thought he looked pretty solid. I know the numbers are a little wonky because he had a that first series where he struggled and then he came back for just a couple ball games before pulling the hammy. And in those couple ball games, I really liked what we saw from him offensively. I want to see Diaz on a day-to-day basis and be able to see what he's capable of and we just have not gotten a chance to do that. I really expect the walk or the strikeout rate, excuse me, to drop significantly if he becomes more aggressive. and who would have thought that almost sounds paradoxical, right? He needs to be more aggressive to cut the strikeout rate, but I genuinely believe that that's what the issue is with him and I'd like to see what the changes will be this coming season because I do think he will have some changes in approach and be a little bit more consistent at the plate. It's going to be his job to lose, and in spring training, whenever that ultimately begins, it's going to be fun to watch those two guys duke it out. Who knows? If Jazz comes out guns a-blazin', then maybe he is ready. I'm not going to say he for sure is not ready, but if you're looking at the two options, Jazz Chisholm, you're not going to be too concerned if he starts the year in AAA, whereas if Isan Diaz starts the year in AAA... You're kind of thinking, okay, when is this guy going to figure it out? It's kind of now or never for him. Jazz, not quite as much, and that's where I stand on it, and that's why I think there's more urgency around Isan Diaz to figure it out. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Coming up in tomorrow's episode, an interview with the owner of the Marlins, High A, and A teams, that's the Beloit Wisconsin Snappers, and double A is the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. That is Quint Studer, the owner of both teams, who joined me for a really cool interview talking about the process of going through the minor league selection of teams getting contracted by major league teams. Also, just his acquisition of the Blue Wahoos in general it was some crazy wheeling and dealing that he had to do to purchase that franchise and move them to Pensacola. A lot of cool things. Also, Shed some light on what's going on in Beloit. Brand new stadium. He compared it to Camden Yards, a whole brick stadium that you won't find anywhere else in the minor leagues. Pretty darn cool. So looking forward to seeing what that stadium is going to look like. And I think you'll enjoy this interview with Quint Studer, a very impressive man who had no problem answering all the questions. And you could tell he's done it before. A great interview. Looking forward to hearing what you all think about it. As always, thank you. Look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.